Good morning, everyone. Please find your way in God's Word to Mark chapter 2 as we walk through the book of Mark. John the Baptist has prepared the way, and Jesus Christ has come onto the scene. And what did Jesus say when he began his ministry? Chapter 1, verse 15 says, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. He is the one that God had promised from the beginning. If one knows the scriptures, that is the Old Testament, it should be easy to see that Jesus has come to fulfill the law. He, he is fulfilling all that Israel failed to do. Jesus is the kingly representative of Israel who come to restore Israel and the nations to the royal heritage. Jesus comes to restore the royal priesthood. And he does it by being the faithful Israelite who is God's son. And as the story unfolds in Mark, this will be clear to all of us. As we have seen in the last couple of weeks, Jesus is showing that he has authority. He has authority over scriptures when he taught in the synagogue. He did not quote any other rabbis or scribes. He spoke on his own. He has authority over the supernatural. He rebuked and silenced the an unclean spirit proving that he has complete control and authority over the spiritual world. He has authority over creation. He healed everyone in the town of Capernaum. He, he brought physical healing to everyone who needed it. Remember, as we saw last week, the whole town was at the door, and he healed them all. Now, we left off last week talking about how Jesus had traded places with the leper. Jesus did something that no one would do back then. He touched a person with leprosy. He laid his hands on him. He put his hands on him and completely healed that man, a verifiable healing. And after the healing, Jesus sternly told the man to, to go to the priest so he could be declared clean. Remember, Jesus made him clean, but the priest would declare him clean. Whether or not he did that, we are not sure. But one thing we are sure of is that he did not obey, obey Jesus when he told him not to say anything to anyone about the healing. Jesus commanded him, he said, see that you say nothing to anyone. He did not follow that command. Instead, chapter 1, verse 45, he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Before the healing, the man was on the outside. He, he did not have the freedom to come and go as he pleased. He was in desolate places. Now, after the healing, as we can see, he's freely talking with everyone. He could not stop talking about what Jesus has done for him. My heart kind of goes out to him. Which brought a challenge to all of us, if you remember. He was told not to tell anyone about the healing that Jesus performed, and yet he tells everyone he, that he ran into about it. And here we are today, we are told to tell everyone what Jesus has done for us, and we are often silenced when it comes to sharing Jesus Christ with others. This man had a physical healing and tells everyone. We had our souls healed. <laughs> we have received eternal salvation, which is a lot better than a physical healing. And we're scared to bring up Jesus in conversation, even though we are commanded to do so. 
We all should be bold in our witness. We should be ready to tell everyone, everyone we meet, about the healing power of Jesus. Amen? So this guy disobeys Jesus, tells everyone, and Jesus had to go out from everyone. Jesus did not want the message that he was proclaiming to take a back seat to the healings he performed. He came to proclaim that the kingdom of God was at hand. The miracles, the healings, were to show his power, his authority, and to uh, validate his message. The message is what is important. And so Jesus had to stay on the outskirts of town to proclaim his message. And, and so many people were following him. He says, you know, from four corners. That means they're coming from every direction. But so many people were following him that he had to get on a boat and go out into the water so he could speak to the people. There were so many people there. Huge crowds would go wherever he taught. And that brings us to chapter 2. And in chapter 2 in this section, our Lord makes it clear that he came to bring to all who would trust him three wonderful gifts. We'll see forgiveness, fulfillment, and freedom. And Mark does this through, through five narratives, through f five clashes with the religious leaders, which all five will continue to show the authority of Jesus. The first five narratives begins at, as, a, as another healing, but it unexpectedly turns into a question of Jesus' identity, which ends up shocking, confusing, and, and, uh, and revealing the anger that is in the religious leaders' hearts. And the reason being is that Jesus reveals his authority over sin and law. That's what we will see today. Chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there, were no more, there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get him near Get, get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise up, rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, this is a story that we've heard many times. Jesus comes home. It's probably Peter's house. That was their home base there. The, the crowds have not let up. Many are still following him wherever he goes. Make note here, though, we, we see that the scribes have, have started following him also. They, they have become a part of the crowd. Now, now, even though they wanted to hear what Jesus said and taught, it, it, it was not so they could obtain the truth. It, it was not 
with the intent of hearing what God had to say because what Jesus said was actually offensive to them. You know, the, the truth that Jesus proclaimed angered them. So instead of embracing the truth, instead of embracing the evidence, instead of searching the scriptures to see if what Jesus said was true, they tried to discredit him. They wanted to get rid of him. Je Jesus was a threat to their religion. And, and they didn't stop till they put him on the cross. So the crowds are still following Jesus around and the scribes are par a part of them. And I want to say, too, that the, 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 these crowds, these people here, they, they were there for the selfish reasons. There were many of them that were there for the free food and the entertainment, you know, the quote, entertainment. And why would I say that about these people? Look back at verse 3. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. So now watch this. Everyone there, everyone who is packed inside that house, every, everyone who is outside that house at the windows and doors knew that Jesus had the power to heal, right? Everybody knew that. And here comes four guys carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and not one person let him through? You see what I'm saying? These men are trying to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus to be healed, and yet not one person said, hey, make a hole. Hey, coming through. Hey, let these people through. This man needs to get to Jesus to be healed. Not one. Not one. Didn't happen. I guess many of them have not heard about esteeming others higher than yourself or loving others or putting others first. Jesus had already preached on these messages by this time. If they had heard it, they're not applying it. We must hear, <laughs> there's a challenge, we must hear and apply God's word to our lives. Amen? We must do it. So they carry this man all the way around the house. No one lets him get close. No one lets him in. So they come to the steps to go up to the roof. I'm not sure if you know what the typical house looked like back then, but you know they were usually one level you know, not all, but usually one level, and, and they would have a, a set of steps on the outside that would take them up to a, a flat roof that was made of branches and side, and some of them had some tile on them. So, so the roof was not too difficult to make a hole in, but it did take some effort. Now, these four men take their friend up there, and they start tearing the roof apart. Let me say about these four men, they're real friends. <laughs> They are real friends. They are dear friends. They didn't walk up and see the crowds and go, well, <laughs> that was a wasted afternoon. We can't get in there. Let's carry you back maybe some other day. No, no. They were determined to put their friend, who was unable to help himself, right in the presence of Jesus. They were not quitters. They were willing to do whatever it took to make sure their paralyzed friend would meet Jesus face to face on that day. You know, those guys set the bar high when it comes to being a friend, did they not? Did they not? Another challenge for us. This is what friends and families are supposed to do for one another. You know, I, I, I pray that the church is a congregation of friends like that. I pray that we are willing to do whatever it takes to help a brother and sister or sister in need. It, it, you know, it's acts of love like this that we see in our text that sets the church apart from the world. 
The world should know that there is something different about us by seeing what we do for one another and by what we would do for them also. We should be willing and ready to help the ones who can't help themselves. Amen? Jesus said, they will know you, though, that you are one of my disciples by how? How we love. By how we love. And if we love like Jesus commanded us, then we will always do whatever is necessary to put anyone in the presence of Jesus. A good friend will always take another one to the word of God and share the good news with them. This is the most important thing that a friend can do, is bring someone to Jesus. The church needs to be full of friends like this. Amen? So these guys take their buddy around the house. They get up on the roof, and they start taking the towel off the roof so they can get access to Jesus. They, they have scoped out the house. They, they know where Jesus is sitting. They figured out where they need to make this hole in this roof, and they start digging. And they start digging. I'm thinking, what is that? <laughs> is there a hole going to happen right here? <laughs> All right. I'm thinking, listen, if they're going to drop a full-grown man through the roof, that had, they had to make a pretty big hole, right? I'm wondering how long did that take? And, 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 I, and, and what is everyone on the inside thinking? All right? Je Jesus is sitting there teaching, and all of a sudden there's a noise from above, Dust and dirt and everything starts falling down on the people. And then they see these men, you know, through the hole, making the hole bigger in the roof. I'm sure, like, there was some eyebrows up, you know. But I'm, I'm sure they're all quiet, you know, looking, wondering, you know, as, as these other guys continue to tear the roof apart. Talk about disrupting the class. You know, here we have the Son of God teaching the Word Everyone's eyes are fixed on Jesus, and they're listening intently to the teaching, and then you have all this ruckus in the middle of his class. Jesus stops teaching, I'm sure, and they, and they all watch the hole get bigger and bigger and bigger above them. And when the hole gets big enough, they see this paralyzed man being lowered down to their level, right down in front of Jesus. Were the people on the inside of the house, were they looking at this helpless man that was being lowered? Do you think they were looking at the four men up there who demonstrated what a true friend really looks like? Were, were they looking at the hole and wondering who's going to fix that? <laughs> Not sure where their eyes went first, but I do know where they were when the man finally was lowered down. Everyone's eyes were on Jesus. All is quiet. Everyone's eyes are on Jesus. Everyone is waiting to see how Jesus is going to react and what he's going to say. Remember, all of these people had no, knew that Jesus had the ability to heal. At this point, they all know that Jesus has miraculous powers. Jesus had healed hundreds, probably thousands by now. And so they're waiting to see another healing. And Jesus all of a sudden said, who's going to fix that hole in that roof? Because I'm a carpenter. No, no, he didn't. He didn't say that. That's not what he said. Jesus did not do or say 
what they expected. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Or as Matthew records it, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute. Stop the press. What's going on here? You know, Jesus, you're supposed to heal this guy's physical ailment. You're supposed to say something to this man, and you're supposed to put your hands on him, and he's supposed to start doing a dance around and tell everyone you healed him. What are you talking about when you say, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven? You think it was quiet when everyone was watching those guys take the roof apart. You think it was quiet when everyone was waiting for Jesus to speak. I bet it was so quiet that you could probably have heard that last little piece of dust hit the floor when Jesus said what he said. As a matter of fact, it was so quiet in that room, not really, but it was so quiet in that room that Jesus could hear what everyone was saying in their own hearts. He could hear it. Verse 6. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? What has happened here with Jesus saying what he said is that Jesus is claiming that he had the uncommunicable attributes of God. You see, the scribes knew that only God can forgive sins. Everyone in that room probably understood that truth. And so if Jesus is telling someone, your sins are forgiven, then he's claiming to be God. That's blasphemy if you're not God. Right? But if you are, if you're not God, then that is blasphemy. But if you are God, then you're just stating the truth. You're just stating a fact. Now, we all know Jesus is God. He's able to declare that your sins are forgiven without committing blasphemy. Blasphemy, we know that. Maybe this paralytic knew it also. Maybe he had heard and understood the message that Jesus had been preaching for a while. You see, I don't think this crippled guy came to get healed physically. I don't think that was priority for this man. He would take it, of course. But I'm not for sure if that's the reason he wanted to meet Jesus. And let me explain. Being disabled back then was associated with sin. If you were disabled or sick in any way, the thought of the people was that you had sin in your life that caused that problem. Some legalistic may make that claim today. But listen, re remember what the disciples asked Jesus as they passed a man who had been blind from birth? Rabbi. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? You see, they, they thought sin was the cause of the ailment. This thought really goes all the way back to Job. One of his friends, if you remember, was questioning what sin Job had committed to have caused all this bad stuff to happen to him. Now, we all know that all sicknesses, disability, and death is, is because of sin. Sin has entered into the world, and we now live in a fallen world. But just because someone has a sickness, it does not mean that they are sick because of some sin in their life that they are committing. We learned about that as we went through James and John. John spoke on that too. But, but anyways, I'm, I'm sure over the years, this man 
had been looked upon as one who had sin in his life that caused his condition. So I'm sure that, quote, sin was on his mind a lot as he laid on his mat day after day. I'm sure over the years he had contemplated sin. I'm sure he spent many hours searching his own heart, maybe wondering what caused this. Did sin cause this? Because sadly, that's what the religious leaders taught back then. This came from the top. If you, were, if you were, are disabled, then you're not holy like us, they would say. And I believe that's why the paralytic wanted to see Jesus. The ache in his heart had to hurt more than the physical sickness he had. I notice because look at, look at the text. Jesus knows the heart, right? Jesus knows the heart. God is all-knowing. This man had not spoken a word, and yet he said, Jesus said to him, Take heart, my son, your sins have been forgiven. Jesus knew what was in the heart of that man, and that's why he said, Take heart. He said, Take courage, my son. The man hadn't spoken, but Jesus knew the heart. Take courage. Now, when he says that, th this is not the courage refers to outward boldness or, you know, the, this, this, this word is different here. This word represents the courage that eliminates fear within the heart. It takes fear away. Jesus was saying to this man, don't be afraid because you no longer have anything to be afraid of. Nothing to fear. Your sins have been forgiven. You see, this man was like any other unrepentant sinner. All are separated from God. All fall short of the glory of God. All are under divine judgment. You should have fear in your heart if you are under divine judgment. You should be very afraid. But when one comes face to face with Jesus and in faith asks for forgive, the forgiveness of his sins, and when Jesus forgives those sins, that person no longer has any reason to fear. The judgment of God has been removed from his soul. He now has peace with the holy God. The payment for his sins, which he could not pay, has been paid by the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself. And, you know, that's why we sing, Jesus, what a beautiful name. Rescued my soul, my stronghold, lifts me from shame, forgiveness, security, power, and love. Listen, grace, that's God's love, grace that blows all fear away. Oh, Jesus, what a beautiful name. I'm sure that's what was the thought in this crippled man, that this crippled man had. His sins had been forgiven. There was nothing to fear. Maybe he was saying, Jesus, what a beautiful name. Now, I'm sure that he did not mind being healed of his sickness, but having his spiritual sickness healed was a lot more important, a lot more important. That made me stop and think for a moment. How many people today would take a physical healing over a spiritual healing? Just wondering, you know. We could see the crowds that followed Jesus back then were there for the physical perks. You know, they were there to get healed. They were there for the free food. Because when Jesus taught the hard truths about God, what did they all do? They left. Only a few stayed, but thousands left. Didn't want to hear the truth. The most important thing of all, the truth about God and salvation. 
There's nothing in this world more important, nothing. And yet the people did not want to hear it. A few did. My favorite verse, as you know, is Peter. When Jesus asked Peter, said, you want to go as well? What did he say? Oh, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, I pray and I hope you pray that the world would believe and come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God and seek him for a spiritual healing. Amen? Jesus is all-knowing. He knows the heart of man. He knew what burdened this man's heart, and he said, Fear no more. Your sins have been forgiven. And what's, what makes this even better? There's a little icing right here. I hope you caught this. Jesus said, Take courage. Who? My son. My son. Because this man's sins had been forgiven, he is now a child of God. That's a sweet, sweet sound to, to a sinner's ears, is it not? Love to hear God call him son. Fear not, my son, you are now in my hands. You now have that peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, back to the scribes. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, verse 6, now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. He, he, who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? What is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, Rise, take your bed, and walk. In, in Matthew, the word says, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. You know, these are the ones who should have known this was the Son of God that was teaching. The scribes were scholars of the scriptures, and they did not realize that the word was sitting right in front of them. And since they did not see Jesus as God, then they concluded, what, this mere man... This mere man was blaspheming. He was claiming to be God. He, he's out there claiming to be able to forgive sins. Listen, this is what, what happens when you see God through uh, self-righteous eyes. You, you see, the, these religious leaders saw no need for forgiveness. You know, they considered themselves already to be righteous. They saw themselves as righteous because of their what? Their works. Their works. They would say, hey, look what I have done. I'm righteous. Hey, look what I am doing. I'm holy. And because they had done works, so-called, to achieve their, their righteousness, the thought of a person being forgiven simply by asking for it was ridiculous to them. What kind of works had this cripple done to please Jesus? The answer is none. Another good answer is the same amount that the thief on the cross did. I like that one. If someone was trying to share the gospel with these scribes and these religious leaders, and they ask them, say, hey, if you're standing before a holy God and that's why he should let you in his heaven, what would your answer be? Well, the scribes would say, well, you see, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. 
And he would give you a list of things that he does to please God. Nothing new under the sun, is it? Nothing new. People give the same answer today as they would back then. Self-righteous people see no need for forgiveness because they believe they are already righteous by their own works. For one to see the need of forgiveness, he must be able to see that he is a sinner and not see himself as righteous. He must first see that he's not perfect and, and that pretty good does not get you in like the commercial says you know you work on break you good at working on breaks I'm pretty good pretty good doesn't get it doesn't get it so our religious leaders back to them so if forgiving sins was not enough for them to recognize <coughs> that Jesus is God <coughs> excuse me Jesus does something else that should have started these wheels turning but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? He knew their thoughts. Their, their thoughts. He said out loud what they were thinking. That should have knocked them off their sandals. You know, that, that should have put the fear of God in their heart, in their hearts. They, they should have been saying in their hearts, How did he know what I'm thinking? And then Jesus would have said, because I'm God. And then it go, is he, it would never end. Somebody would have had to cave. It wouldn't have been Jesus. But, you know, it, it, when that happened, they should, have, they should have fallen to their knees and asked for forgiveness right then. Everyone knew that God is all-knowing. And they should have put together and understood that Jesus is God. He knows every person's thoughts. Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Jesus' glory and divinity, let's talk about Christ for a second. Jesus' glory and divinity were veiled by his humanity and morality. That's true. But while Jesus walked as a human on this earth, he never ceased to be God. When Jesus was born, God became a man. Jesus was not part man and part God. He was completely human and completely divine. Jesus Christ is the perfect expression of God in human form. Know this doctrine about Jesus. This is, is important. As a man, Jesus was subject to place and time and other human limitations. But he did not give up his eternal power when he became human. For a time, he did set aside his glory and his rights, but that was in response to the Father's will. Jesus was fully man and fully God. He was all-knowing, and he proved it. He knew what was in the heart of man because he is God. But that's not what the scribes thought. Their thoughts were, who is this mere man who thinks he's God? And Jesus called them out. He said, you have evil in your hearts. Their hearts were so hardened against Christ that every miracle they saw him do made them harden their hearts even more. Even though every miracle that he did was evidence of his divinity and messiahship, which should have drawn them closer, instead drew, drew, drove them further away. And when the scribes heard Jesus say, 
Your sins have been forgiven. That evil in their hearts was thinking, now we got him. Now we got him. He's blasphemed God. This is punishable, punishable by death. They were jealous of Jesus' popularity and they hated he had the power to heal. They didn't come to that house to hear the truth that day. They came to condemn. And now they think they got him. They think. But Jesus, the masterful teacher he is, turns the tables on them, puts the ball back in the court. Jesus says in verse 8, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to rise? Or to say, rise, take your bed, and walk? Very simple question. Which is easier to say? Well, actually, it's easy to say either one. You can say it. <laughs> the real question is, which is easier to do? Both are humanly impossible. Everyone knows that. But the ones who had evil in their hearts said nothing. Like I said, the answer is obvious. Both things are equally impossible for men. Both are equally possible for God. God can heal and God can forgive sins. Man can, can, cannot do either one. But the scribes didn't want to verbalize that. They knew they were in a bind. If they answer and say, God can do both, then they're in trouble. They know that Jesus can heal. They've seen multiple healings. They know that, that only God can do that, and yet they would not, would not see or say that Jesus is God. Wouldn't see it nor say it. Their own, well, look at this, their own distorted theology should have led them to believe in Jesus' divinity. If they... If, as they believed and taught that sickness and disease were the consequences of sin, then removing the disease would be connected to dealing with that sin that caused it, right? You see, their way of thinking should have led them to believe that Jesus is God. They had seen the, the, the many healings. So if Jesus healed the people of their sickness, then that would mean that he also dealt with the sin that caused that sickness. They were trapped in their own messed up theology and logic. And it happens a lot. And because of that, they were silent. Jesus asked, which is easier to say? Jesus has already said your sins are forgiven. Which one's easier? They couldn't verify that the sins were forgiven. The scribes, the Pharisees, they had no visible way of verifying the forgiveness, but they were about to receive abundant evidence of his healing, which would force the conclusion that Jesus could not only deal with the healing, but also could deal with sin. Verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man, and we're going to come back to that next week, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. And they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Since you know that only God can heal, Jesus said, I will heal this man to prove that I am God. And with that healing, then you should know that as God, I have the authority to forgive sins. Jesus told the paralytic to stand up, pick up his mat, and go home. With arms that did not work 30 seconds ago, he picked up his mat. 
with legs that were useless just 10 seconds ago, he walked out the door. He was a new creation in Christ Jesus. Jesus sent this man back home with a new life, not because he was physically healed, but because he had been forgiven of his sins. He is a new creation. I'm sure this man and his friends did do a celebratory dance down the road. Praising God the whole way. He wasn't told to be quiet, and I bet he wasn't. I bet that was an awesome sight to see. Everyone there on that day saw what happened. But as we have seen, there were two different responses to the truth. We know how the paralytic responded. And the word tells us that many were in awe and that they glorified God. We also know how the scribes responded. They hardened their hearts even more. So much more that they eventually hung Jesus on a cross. What was his crime? They said he committed blasphemy. Which you can't be guilty of if you are God. So there are two ways to respond to Jesus, the God-man. Either you can reject him and rely on your own selfish righteousness and be under divine judgment. Or you can be in awe of the power of God and accept his offering of the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is able to forgive you of your sins. That, that's, that's the big one. That's the heart of the gospel right there. That this, this is the message of Christianity. This is the message from the front of the book to the back of the book. Man can be forgiven of sins. Man can be set free from the consequences of sin. Sinful man can have peace with a holy God. That's the good news that's in this book. That's the gospel message. Sinful man can be fully cleansed and brought into eternal fellowship with the holy God. Jesus said and proved that he is the one who has authority to forgive sins. And because he is the one with authority, he is able to say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen.